This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. When might you be buzzed? When you suddenly love everything. You guys, I love this song. I love these nachos. I love our kickball league. I love this guy. What's your name? You know what I love? A ride when it's time to head out. If you see a buzzed warning sign, call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. I love your car. Is this real leather? This is a BBC Radio 4 archive edition of Alistair Cook's Letter from America. Good morning. Some time ago, it must be two months ago, a cold brilliant morning was darkened by an alarming newspaper piece by a former assistant secretary, an expert on the Middle East, a very steady, pragmatic fellow, whose analysis of any subject was always so thoughtful that his partisanship, if any, was hard to discover, the very best type of civil servant. But the piece was an earnest plea to the administration, to the Bush team, to mount an attack, and I don't mean in Washington rhetoric, a military attack at once on Saddam Hussein. Mr. Pearl, the writer, had not changed his character. He'd not turned into an hysteric. What indeed was so impressive about his piece was the deadly quiet, the tone in which he recited a catalogue of blood-curdling facts about Saddam's readiness for either a nuclear attack, a germ, a chemical attack on the United States or on one of its outposts. The time, he said, is now. Well, after a careful thought or two of my own, I decided not to talk about it. It stirred only a small rumpus in the foreign offices of Europe, which anyway, once the Afghan war was won, were beginning to draw on the old venom of anti-Americanism on other matters. And an American, anyway, did not have to read very closely between the lines of liberal editorials to sense that there was a, a secret disappointment that the United States had not followed the path and followed the fate we all feared it would, namely the long years of frustration and final retreat of the British in the 19th century, the Russians in the 20th. And if that sounds mean, let me say at once, that's what I feared in the beginning and was as mightily relieved as anybody when we discovered the formidable gifts of Secretary Rumsfeld for waging and winning a war. It was just when we were all asking where next that Secretary Pearl's piece appeared and filled me, for one, with dread. Dread of, this time, the whole Arab world being mobilized against America. Dread of the thought that since Saddam was in the habit of burying his biochemical and other lethal items underneath hospitals and in the basement of children's schools, Dread, therefore, of the inevitable pile of civilian casualties. And the most discouraging thing, what seemed to me the inevitable denunciation of most, if not all, 
European governments of whatever political stripe. In blunter words, no allies. I kept these unpleasant thoughts to myself, believing that the president had apparently silenced the flapping wing of the Pentagon that was ready to give the answer to where next, Baghdad. So, we talked in the meantime of many things, some of them cheerful. And then suddenly the president gave his State of the Union address, and all anyone will ever recall from it will be the grim phrase, an axis of evil. Not only had the president revived Mr. Pearl's menace of Saddam Hussein, but linked him as a partner in criminal intent with Iran, which had lately been mooching towards official relations with the United States. But also North Korea, thus disheartening the president of South Korea, who's been hoping that the long and rough history of post-war rumbles with North Korea might be coming to an end. It is true that few Europeans know much about North Korea or can even guess at the maddening frustration successive American presidents have suffered. America in recent years has paid off, bribed, if you like, North Korea to the tune of over $1 billion in exchange for a promise to build no nuclear arsenal. The North Koreans have taken the money and instead of using it to alleviate the starvation of their own people, have devoted the gift to the making of advanced nuclear weapons and along the way becoming the world's main exporter of missiles, selling to Iran in particular a missile capable of striking Turkey, Israel and Saudi Arabia. Nevertheless, there remains a split in the strategical beliefs inside the Pentagon, the sceptical faction doubting very much whether even the one and only superpower has the resources, military, naval, aerial, manpower, let alone morale, to wage two wars in Arabia and one in Asia. But the foreign ministers of Europe, it seems, are not ready to contemplate even one war, however swift and short, against Saddam. At this low point in our meditations, the telephone rang. It was my oldest English friend. Please, he begged, is there any good news? Yes, I said, I think there is. What, what? Gently, take it easy, and pay attention, I said. I hope some of you remember some of my New Year's talk about the Russian Orthodox Cathedral round my corner and the bell that for 51 years has given out at eventide two melancholy tollings, bemoaning, I liked to think, the enslavement of the Church under Bolshevism and its stern dictate that religion is the opiate of the masses. Well, I told you how a week or two earlier the bells had rung merrily, a defiance of some sort, that was explained only a few hours later when there on the tube was a small, slim, dapper man slipping into the church, no retinue, perhaps a friend, and suddenly it was Mr. Putin going to his devotions. I have hardly recovered from the shock of seeing the president of Mother Russia 
reverting, shall we say, to the service of holy Russia. Last week, two American journalists, the proprietor of the Wall Street Journal and a senior reporter colleague, sat down with that man, that same Vladimir Putin, for an interview of such directness and candor as I don't ever remember with any previous Russian or Soviet chief. Miss Karen House put the question which I'm sure no one, no foreigner, had ever put before. Are you a religious man? Mr. Putin paused for the first time, dropped his soft voice still lower, and gravely remarked that everybody should have within a moral or spiritual basis, and there was none better than religion which the communist ideology had replaced. And now I quote him directly. If there is a God... He, it, must be in the heart of a person. Religion is very important for a country like Russia, for nothing can express universal human values in a human soul as effectively as religion can. Religion makes a person spiritually richer. He said he'd leave it at that, leaving his two stunned journalists wondering whether they were interviewing the president of Russia or the Pope. Well, I have no way of knowing if my old friend will be impressed, let alone gladdened by this shock. Throughout 35, 40 years, I've never put to him the question Miss House put to Putin. I suspect he's a heathen. But there is, I think very good secular news from the same source. Once Mr. Putin in that Moscow interview had said we leave it there, they got on to topics that are worrying both Americans and Europeans, especially topic A, Iraq, Saddam. Simply and directly with no fudging jargon, Mr. Putin said the problem of Iraq is completely different from Afghanistan, and the very last thing that should happen is unilateral military action by the United States. He implied that no single country can solve the problem of Saddam's flagrant violation of the treaty accords he signed, oh, what, ten years ago? And throughout all that time, his unyielding expulsion of every United Nations team that went to track down his nuclear, chemical, germ labs, materials, hidden resources. Mr. Putin is surely well aware of this merciless defiance and the frightful demoralizing effect it had on the United Nations inspectors. Yet, Mr. Putin says he's perfectly willing to help the United States, but only under the auspices of the United Nations. Start again, is what he's saying. There will be a tidal wave of relieved sighs in Europe, but not, I fear, in the United Nations. Oh, yes, let's go to the UN and impose sanctions, has been the automatic peacemaking slogan for years and years. But quite apart from the steady ineffectiveness of sanctions... You easily get what you want through giving a false recipient nation on the manifest. The United Nations loves to be appealed to and activate yet another committee. But what is never recalled by eager supplicants to the UN 
is that in spite of the grandeur of its charter, in order to save succeeding generations from the scourge of war and the promise of successful arbitration, the UN is powerless. The United Nations doesn't own even a water pistol. Consequently, though it has advertised sneaky aggressors often enough to make them publicly withdraw, it has not been able to prevent, since its founding in 1945, over 240 wars. Mr. Putin says the best hope of a stable world is the continuing cooperation of Russia and the United States, and through what he called his close and warm relationship with President Bush, there has developed a new and very high level of trust. Well, the practical effect of this remarkable interview in Moscow, though it could be just a case of post hoc, propter hoc, is that President Bush and Secretary Rumsfeld and Secretary of State Powell have declared that they're not going to attack anybody for some months, that they have a plan, a sequence of actions, and that the United Nations and another bang on the inspection gate is an early one. So, old friend, there you are. Maybe the words from Moscow are just what the doctor ordered. Or could be another Munich. We must take a deep breath and wait and see. That was Letter from America with Alastair Cook. You can find more Letters from America and thousands of other programmes for curious minds on the Radio 4 website. By listening first, strategizing second, and collaborating constantly, MetLife Investment Management takes a client-first approach to institutional investing. With expertise in public fixed income, private capital, and real estate, we are institutional, but far from typical. Learn more at medlife.com backslash institutional. That's medlife.com backslash institutional.